G'day and welcome to the Oz Survivor podcast after week one of season three of Australian Survivor Champions versus Contenders. A big couple of episodes to kick it off. I must admit I was physically fatigued after watching those two episodes, being so uh, emotionally involved and physically invested in Survivor that I don't know how I'm going to survive this week of four episodes coming up. It's going to be an absolute marathon week of Survivor. After this week, I think it's important to talk about decisions, decision-making, evaluating decisions, what makes a good decision or a good move, what makes a bad decision or a bad move, how do we tell the difference? After Russell made what some people are calling a stupid move, what other people are saying is a, a genius move, how do we tell the difference between a good move and a bad move, a good decision and a bad decision? I'm going to be leaning on a book called Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke to talk about how we weigh up decisions and how we can make better decisions in our life and applying that to the game of Survivor and specifically to Russell's move this week. Now, just to uh, put it out there right up front, I'm a massive Russell Hance fan, big fan. Literally, the first season I ever watched of Survivor was Samoa season 19, Russell Hance's first season. And I didn't really know a whole lot about Survivor. And I just saw this guy who came from out of, you know, out of nowhere. His tribe was losing everything. They were on the absolute bottom. And they merged with, the, they were down in the numbers four versus eight. And somehow his four managed to become the top five. You know, four of the top five. It was, if it wasn't for Brett winning immunity and having to vote out Jason, his four would have been the top four. They voted out seven galoo in a row for that 4-4-4 to become four of the top five and eventually for Russell to make the top three and finish second. It's absolutely crazy to imagine and it was all thanks to, in my mind, this Russell Hance, this absolute superstar, the king of Survivor, something I, I still uh, believe today. I, I do think Russell is the king of Survivor. And then to watch him come back again the very next season and get to the top three again uh, with a very similar game, with a very similar tactics uh, that was just out of nowhere, completely unexpected. And I thought, wow, Survivor is so awesome, thanks to this guy called Russell Hance. Uh, and I was hooked ever since. And I was super keen when I first heard that Russell was going to be on Australian Survivor. I thought, I hope they don't just vote him out first, um, which is obviously what happened in season 22, but we don't need to talk about that. And I think if Russell was on the contenders... It could have gone very differently. But I want to talk about you know, this decision and decisions more broadly in our life that hopefully this can help you in your life more broadly, but specifically relating this to Russell. And there's two things I want to talk about. One is called resulting and one is called hindsight bias. So resulting is our tendency to equate the quality of a decision with the quality of its outcome. So if we think if we get a good outcome, we assume we made a good decision. If we get a bad outcome, we assume we made a bad decision. So if people say Russell got voted out, that was a bad decision, whatever he did. Or if we think uh, we quit our job and then we went broke, that was a bad decision to quit our job. Or if we say we chose to quit our job and move from Melbourne to Sydney and we happened to find the right person who gave us an a awesome job that we really loved then that was a good decision to quit and move from Melbourne to Sydney. So 
in both cases, we can't purely judge if it was a good decision or a bad decision purely based on the outcome, whether it was good or bad. So, if I ask you to think, what is the best decision that you have personally made in the past 12 months? And if you were to think about that, I'm pretty sure that you would suggest the thing that you made the best decision, you'd actually tell me the best outcome that happened to you. So, we're always linking decisions with outcomes. And it's really hard to do, but we need to try and remove the decision from the outcome and look at the decision in isolation objectively and try to assess the decision, not just the outcome. So the story in the book talks about the 2015 Super Bowl. And I'm not a, personally not a big NFL fan. I probably watch one game a year, uh, which is the Super Bowl. So I didn't know a whole lot about this, but it, it's a really cool story. And it was the Seattle Seahawks versus the New England Patriots. Now, the Pats were up 28 to 24. The Seahawks had it in their possession on their one-yard line with 30 seconds to go. So, with one touchdown, they win the game. They're literally right next to the touchdown line, and they've got 30 seconds. They've got possession. They've got a crack at it. Now, there are a couple of options that they could have taken here. They could have tried to run it. They only have to get... Um, you know, progress the ball one yard to score a touchdown or they could pass it, which is less likely to score the touchdown because it's harder um, to get the pass and to run it. And what they chose to do though was they chose to pass. What happened was the ball got intercepted. That was it. Game was over. Patriots take possession. Clock runs down. Game over. The Seahawks lose due to that intercepted pass. And the media said that was the absolute worst decision, the worst play, the worst decision in Super Bowl history. But what they're actually saying was because it was a bad outcome, they're saying the decision itself was bad. But if we look at the stats and we look at the different possible outcomes, we realize that the decision itself wasn't actually a bad decision and the winning coach, Bill Belichick, actually admitted that the losing coach made the correct decision. He made the right decision. He made the wise decision. It just didn't work out. And the reason being, if they chose to run the ball, and if they didn't score the touchdown, the clock keeps ticking, the 30 seconds runs down, and they lose their shot, they lose the game. If they pass instead of run, and they don't complete the pass, the clock stops, then they get a second chance, which they would then run. So the two options, if they run, they don't complete it, they don't win the game, the clock runs down, game over. If they pass, they fumble, they still have a second option where they can then run on the second attempt. Now, statistically speaking, there's probably a 15% chance from that pass that they score a touchdown. There's like an 84% chance that they fumble it, the clock stops, and then they get a shot to run it. And there's a roughly 1% chance that that pass is intercepted. Now, of course, the pass was intercepted. The media blows up and says it was the worst decision ever, but it was a 1% chance that that outcome happened. So if you look at the decision objectively, it was a 1% chance versus a 99% chance where they'd either get a second attempt or they'd win the game. Now, if you look at that decision, it's actually the right move. It just didn't work out. 
So now what people are saying about the Russell decision, they're saying, Russell, you got voted out. You made the wrong decision. So they're looking at the outcome and using the quality of the outcome to assess the quality of the decision. But what Russell is saying, I actually made the right decision. It just didn't work. So it was like that 2015 Super Bowl. There was a 1% chance that the pass gets intercepted. They made the right decision. It just didn't work out. And as Russell says, he made the right move. It just didn't work out. So that's resulting. The other thing that I wanted to talk about from this book, Thinking in Bets, is hindsight bias. So hindsight bias is where when we know the outcome, we look back you know, in hindsight and we say, that was inevitable. That was always going to happen. I should have known. I should have seen it coming. Now, before the event takes place, there were actually many possible outcomes. There were many possibilities. But after the result, when we know and we look back, we only see one possibility. We only see one inevitable outcome that we just should have seen coming. Now, it's like the analogy of a tree. Now, the tree, the trunk is the past, all the things that have happened in the past. The branches are all the possible futures, the possible things that could happen. The thick branches are more likely and the thin twigs are less likely, but still possibilities. And where the branches meet the trunk, that's the present. So what happens as we move up this trunk? You know, we're moving into the future. Time is progressing. What happens in our mind is we get a, a chainsaw and hack away at all the branches that we didn't take. So we move up the, the tree. One outcome happens. That's the branch we take. We hack away all of the other branches that didn't happen. We hack them away because they're, they're no longer possibilities. We moved from the present where we had a whole bunch of options. We took one path. That present is no longer, as in those other future potential options are no longer possibilities for us. So mentally, we're removing those as possibilities because we're only focused on the options we did take and looking to the future as to which options we take next. What are the next uh, places that we can possibly branch off? What is the next decision we need to make? So when we look back in time, all we see is this one big thick trunk and one possible branch and we think, oh, that was inevitable. That was always going to happen because in our mind, we've forgotten that actually at the time, looking forward into the future, there were many, many, many different possibilities that could have occurred, but we now neglect to think of those because in our mind, those branches were removed. So hindsight bias is what comes into play where, you know, something like this, at the time, it seemed like an unlikely 2 or 3% chance, but looking back, it seems like a 100% inevitability. So by keeping an accurate representation of what could have happened, keeping this different scenario plans and this decision tree in place makes for better planning and better evaluation of our decisions moving forward. So if we think about what could have happened in this Russell scenario, so what could have happened? He probably gets voted out straight away. If he doesn't find an idol, people don't want to play the game. He's the odd one out. People target him. He's Russell. He's the king. He is, uh, in my personal opinion, the best survivor to have ever played Survivor. Uh, I know some people don't agree with that, but that's uh, that's my opinion. And I think on that island, 
Russell is definitely targeted on the Champions Tribe to be voted out first. Okay, another scenario that could have happened. Russell keeps the idol a secret. So he finds the idol, he doesn't have to tell anybody. Now in that case, he probably gets 9 votes, 10 votes, maybe 11 votes, I don't know. He plays the idol to save himself. He doesn't go home, he can pick whoever he wants to go home. But then what? He's got no idol, and next time he gets... 8 votes, 9 votes, 10 votes, and he's probably second voted out because there was no way to drive the game, you know, to drive the impetus, the momentum forward. There was no reason for people to be playing the game because they all just thought Russell's a clear, obvious threat, the clear, obvious first target. Let's all vote Russell. So by Russell showing the idol, he forces people to play the game. He forces people to start thinking. He's forcing alliances to happen and, and cracks to form. Okay, another option that could have happened. If he does what he did, shows the idol, people start talking, the whole different names get brought up, different alliances start forming. This time, Russell plays the idol. So in this 4-4-2-2 scenario, he plays the idol, he saves himself, Jackie goes home. What next? Without the protection of the idol, I think Russell is again clearly the next person to go. He might have the couple of people that you know that didn't vote for him this time. He might be able to keep a couple of them. But I think with how it all went down, Russell becomes the next target. And his only chance is to go out there and find another idol. And Russell is the king of finding idols. He was the first person to ever find an idol without a clue. He did it this time very, very early in the game. He could do it again. But it's such... That's a tough thing to bet your whole Survivor future on thinking I'm going to go out there and find another idol. Another thing, I think in this scenario, what could have happened is if somehow he gets through this vote, you know, there's massive cracks, there's alliances, it's 4-4-2-2, maybe it becomes 5-3-2-2 or it becomes 4-3-3-2, something, whatever happens where the votes somehow, where Russell doesn't get voted out and he keeps the idol, in that case, in that fourth option, there. He keeps the idol, the cracks start forming, people realize that, okay, actually, he's almost definitely going to play the idol next time, so we need to keep working, we need to keep strategizing, we need to keep playing the game. Russell isn't the easy target because he still has an idol. So I think that's what the best decision in that scenario is. And that's, I think, the decision that Russell took. Hindsight bias tells us that, you know, it was inevitable. Russell was always going to get voted out if he didn't play the idol. But Back in the past, looking forward, there were so many different options of what could have happened. Now, I think the only other thing, which I can't, I can't account for uh, because I don't know, I haven't spoken to all 12 people, I don't know how it all worked out. The only thing I can think of is, was there a way to make a better target that wasn't Russell? Is there someone, rather than you know, splitting it so it's, you know, there's four names getting thrown out there, you know, there was a lot of chaos. There was a lot of, it seemed, you know, it wasn't known what on earth was going on. Is there a different way how he could have piled six or seven votes onto Shane or six or seven votes onto Jackie, where Russell didn't have to play his idol, kept the idol, and also voted someone else out? I don't know. Uh, that's something I'd want to ask Russell. and I want to find out what was possible, what could have been done out there. So back to this hindsight bias. We can look back and say... Damn, they voted Russell out. It was so obvious. They were always going to vote for him. He should have played his idol. But it's easy to say because 
Now, looking back to see the outcome, we already know what's happened and it seems perfectly clear. But at the time, looking forward, there was no way to tell that it was an inevitable. There was four or five different scenarios that could have played out. It's a logical fallacy, this hindsight bias. It disrupts our thinking. It distorts our decision-making and our points of view, not just in this specific game of Survivor, but in all decisions that we make, in all moves that we make in life, where once we know the outcome, we look back and think, oh, that was such a stupid decision. I should have seen that coming. Oh, oh, that was a great decision. It was the only thing I could have done at the time. And we neglect to remember the fact that it wasn't the only thing that could have happened. There were so many different things that could have happened at the time. It just so happens now that we know the outcome, we forget about all those other options. So it's something you need to be careful of in life in general. And also when you're analyzing Survivor thinking, uh, Russ was so stupid, obviously they were going to come for him. It wasn't obvious. That's false to think that it was so obvious at the time and that it was such a stupid move because that's not at all true. And it's just our hindsight bias getting in the way of our logical, rational thinking. So that's two things I think about in evaluating decisions. As I said, I'm a massive Russell fan and I agree with Russell's statement that he made the best moves possible objectively looking at the decisions, ignoring the outcome, looking at just the decisions. I think the decisions he made and the moves he made were the best possible ones that he could have to allow him to succeed in the game. And as Russell said, he made the best move he could. He made the right move. It just didn't work out. If you haven't yet, I'd recommend checking out the most recent episode of the Russell Hans Show. Uh, it's obviously a, an interview with Russell Hans post-Survivor now that the episodes have gone live. And he talks about this idea of, you know, what's a good move? What's a bad move? What's a right decision? What's a wrong decision? And he recognizes the fact that this was a huge move. It was a big move and it just didn't work out. And he talks about the fact that in Samoa and in Heroes vs. Villains, he made equally big moves and they just happened to work out. You know, it's like sort of, you know, if it's a, a three out of four chance, one of them's not going to work, three of them might work. So he's made some huge moves where he's you know played an idol for himself, he's played an idol for someone else, he's given somebody else an idol, and it just happened that it works, and he becomes the king of Survivor. He becomes a Survivor legend. He also isn't blind to the fact that there are plenty of other people who have made similar sorts of massive moves, taken big risks, and they just haven't worked out. And these are the people that get, you know, they get voted out and they've forgotten by history. He talks specifically about that move from JT in Heroes vs. Villains. Us watching on the TV, it's so obvious. Russell's controlling the villains. It's not an all-girls alliance. JT's so stupid to give Russell this idol. But that's not at all how it is. Russell recognizes that move is a genius move by JT. It takes enormous kahunas to try and pull that move off, to even attempt that move. And Russell says, if that works, if what JT sees is true and Russell joins the heroes and they run down the villains tribe, that's one of the best moves in Survivor history and the ballsiest moves. It just didn't work out. Russell says, it's a genius move from JT. It just didn't work out. And so, as I said, Russell, he's made similar moves to this in the past that have all worked. Just this time, it was the right decision objectively and statistically, sometimes it's going to work, sometimes it's not going to work. 
This time, it was the right move, just didn't work out.